0: strategies and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success. And now here's your host, Dr. Jo
1: North. I've got a very special guest for you in this week's podcast. It's Patrick Dunn, who is the author of Boards, a brilliant book for board members, aspiring board members, whether you're a seasoned campaigner, a novice board member or aspiring. It's a wonderful book. And in this show, we talk about how to create a great board environment, what a good board actually looks like, uh, how boards can influence innovation and growth. We talk about conflict and creating healthy, creative tension rather than disruptive conflict. Patrick shares loads of tips as well on, on listening, how to interject, how to influence we talk about the combination of humility and confidence and how to grow those and so much more besides one particular observation that i loved that patrick made amongst many is that it's important as a board to not play the player but to play the ball and for everybody on the board to be really focused on the outcome and, you know, that any, any turbulence and, and discussion on the way is about achieving the best results overall to get the best outcomes. So this is really rich in content. I loved this conversation and learned so much from it. And I think you will do too. So let me and Patrick know what you think. Patrick, it is brilliant to welcome you to the podcast. I feel really honoured. You're an absolute world-class global expert when it comes to all things regarding boards, businesses, entrepreneurship, innovation. You're a published author several times and you've worked with some amazing companies around the world. So a big welcome to the podcast. Can I start off by asking you about what you do and how you came to do what you do?
2: Yeah, well, what I do is is. Is lovely, really. It's a mix of different things. So, I have a few chair roles uh, with the EY Foundation and ESSA, which is Education Sub Saharan Africa. I have a business called Board Delta, which does stuff for boards, so training and advisory. And then I have a couple of other things that I do, kind of hobbies and an uh, interest. So, I'm at that very lucky sort of stage where I do a sort of mix of different things. They all are very fulfilling in different in different ways. And it seems to work as a, as a portfolio together.
1: And you've got a fascinating background and journey, haven't you? You've done some really interesting things.
2: I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, I always think I've only just, only just got going really. I still feel that despite what, what the stage I'm at, but I was born in a, in a place called Toxteth in, in Liverpool, which is not a natural place for board members to come from, but, and I'm from an Irish sort of immigrant, Emily, so i had all all the usual stuff around that i'm mildly dyslexic so i wasn't very good at quite a lot of things at at school but was okay at maths so i did maths at university at, at warwick then got into the chemicals industry and then private equity before it was fashionable and then in my spare time i built a number of social enterprises and spent quite a lot of time in africa working in you know difficult slums and rural areas around education so quite a mix of things. And I, I love conflict. I guess I was born in a conflict-rich zone. And I've done lots of interesting things over the year around conflict, particularly with young people helping them to manage conflict more effectively. So I've had a charmed, <laughs> charmed life, really, since, um, since I went to university and yeah. uh, changed my life.
1: But so you've done some amazing things. And we'll dive into all of that shortly. You're also a mathematician, aren't you? And you love solving problems.
2: I do. Well, I suppose as a kid, I just loved puzzles and I loved, for some bizarre reason, had a deep attachment to the triangle and, and geometry and all of that. And I was really interested in that. And then that interest I was greatly furthered by being able to go to Warwick, which is an amazing place to do maths. And even then, you know, it was sort of not that old the university then, but it was, a, it was a great place. And then my jobs have always used maths and I use maths in the boardroom quite a lot on behavioural stuff as well so I'm quite interested in that.
1: Yeah awesome so lots to dive into you mentioned conflict and sort of growing up in that environment and I think healthy conflict is really invaluable for in all sorts of walks of life particularly Mm. in business as well. So one of your particular interests I know you've got many is in the performance of boards Mm. and the role of boards and how boards can perform well together. So how did that start? And what are your observations and insights that you can share about the, the role of the board and what makes a great one and what makes a not so great one?
2: The real catalyst for getting involved in, in boards was a, a couple of board meetings, which were really awful, that I went to as an investor. And I, I kind of thought early on in my career that the better the board we had, the more money we'd make and the less hassle we'd had. So I started to think about, well, what does make a good board and what do make good board members? And how can you help a board that's that's sort of not working well together work better? And so I I started to sort of get a lot involved in that and did quite a lot of work around that. And we ended up at at 3i doing a lot of training around board skills, a lot of um, quite innovative things about um the way we picked board members and the way we developed board members and so on so that that was a sort of kernel of interest and then it struck me that that most of the issues that boards have are are down to purpose people or process and if you can have clarity of purpose you can get people aligned behind that purpose you can get the right people working together in the right way and you've got a good sort of straightforward simple process then other things being equal you know it's probably going to be all right but if you haven't got those things then you're probably you know if one of those corners of the triangle if you like is is a bit wonky then the whole thing sort of collapses so that was really a sort of lightning light bulb moment then i ended up on the higgs review which was a review of the the governance of large listed companies in the uk about 20 years ago and i started to write about it and then people asked me you know to to help (laughs) when things got Mm. got tricky and so um i've had a lot of experience with boards that need help and you learn so much for the boards you chair yourself with that and i find you know even though i've been chair for quite a while now of of different things i i every every time you learn something it's just a fascinating environment to be in
1: it is i love purpose people and process that's really memorable and something everybody can work with. I think it applies to all teams including boards doesn't it if, if any project team or innovation oh, yeah. team it's a, it's a great framework and structure mm. to use. So I'm thinking well I'm a member of a board or I chair a board and you know it's all right but it could be so much better. What would some top tips be from you to to make sure that that purpose people and process is really working in practice.
2: You often need a catalyst and that catalyst can be an event like you have a really bad quarter or you know there's a really bad argument or something like that and you can sort of use that difficult situation to say actually you know we probably need to think about how we're doing things a bit differently. You can use external people you know maybe you have an advisor or maybe you can talk about uh, something you've been to or something to you need some sort of catalyst to get things going. And then I think you need to think about just calmly, really, if it's a business, you know, well, actually, could we make more money if we worked it differently? If it's a charity, you know, could we have more impact if we if we worked in a different way? Could we get more money in to the business or the charity because people think we're better governed? or people think we're more sustainable. You know, we're more likely not to fall over because we don't care about risk or things like that. So I think, generally speaking, it's better to root these things in something that will deliver something useful rather than the theory of, you know, well, we must do this because it's good for you. I generally find people are more motivated by things that will enhance them or their business in some way.
1: Yeah, and we touched on, your particular interest in conflict earlier and of course you know it's the diversity of backgrounds opinions expertise that can really make a board shine and it's that diversity as well that can make it sometimes hard work and lead to that conflict so it's a fine line isn't it in terms of getting that right and i think Many people, I know I have worked in environments where there's been at least somebody on that senior team that, you know, I'm talking about in the past now, where, you know, not quite trusted, the dynamics not quite right, and I think a lot of people are in that place. So how do we get the best from that conflict? So it's creative positive tension mm-hmm. rather than something that leads to lack of trust, dissent, and suboptimal performance.
2: It's a brilliant point, Joe, and, and and that lively tensions. Quite, I mean, uh, if you don't have it, then it's a bunch of clones, or you get groupthink and mm. all of that. So you do want to stimulate that, but it, it's actually the ability to manage conflict rather than anything else. And I think if you wa- if you watch really good leaders, you know, whether they're of a team or of a chairing a board, they they generally do have that ability to tease out conflicting ideas conflicting personalities all of that and then actually you use that and that can be the catalyst for, for for change and for new ideas or a better way of doing things but they they have this way of bringing everybody together as well mm-hmm. and i think it's all down to to culture really so when i've started things up so for example essa in africa or i've taken on a new chair role then I generally spend you know a little bit of time just saying you know well how are we going to work together everyone you know the board itself the board with the subcommittees the board and the subcommittees with the management and i, and I think in sort of venn diagrams so that you spend a bit of time talking about well, what's that bit in the intersection that how are we going to have this we've got a great range of diverse talents and and characters and, and all the rest of it how are we going to bring out the best in each other? So it's absolutely okay to say things that, you know, you you feel strongly about, you feel, you know, might, might be different or you feel are important, but everyone has to do that in a respectful way. And we have to listen to people. And, and when people talk about trust, I, I think often it's a very narrow sort of thinking about what they mean by trust. I, I think it's trusting competence as well as in you know, I trust what you say. It's trust that that person will do the right thing, and, that, and that's really important. So that, I think the chair has to create that atmosphere, and ensure also that there's a really good feedback kind of and reflective kind of thing, so that you know if someone does stray off into uh, unhelpful territory, you can you can sort of quickly nudge them back, rather than you know having to wait for yeah. a while and have an awkward conversation.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? There's the, the work that David Meister has done on trust, and he defines trust in business as being around credibility, authenticity and openness, reliability, divided by the, the view of self-orientation, self-interest. And it's about me being really clear about what my interests are, but also wanting you to achieve your interests as well. So we trust people when all those dynamics are in place, which I think is a really useful framework. And I think as well, it, it is absolutely, you know, a great chair can be transformative in facilitating that culture and that environment. I think it's also on the board members to be self-aware and to learn the skill of being challenged and receiving challenge and also giving challenge in a really constructive way. Healthy way, so it's sort of on everybody, isn't it? It's that individual and team responsibility.
2: I, I mean, constructive challenge is not an individual sport. I mean, I, I recently did a LinkedIn article all about constructive challenge by like, coincidence. Mm. Um, it's really interesting when you when you look at the people understand why it's useful. First of all, because I think it helps to motivate you, particularly if you're more introverted, to to realise actually you might you might actually do something really useful here by asking a really good question. What people often have a problem with is not why it's a good idea, but how do you do it? How do you get into a conversation when, you know, it's chuntering the wrong way? How do you kind of make your points in in the right sort of layered way? That kind of thing. How do you build on someone else's challenge? Uh, It's fascinating, actually, when you Mm. start to think about it.
1: It is. So what what are a few tips that you could give us for how to, so I, I suppose some tips are how to butt in politely, but with confidence, you know, how to redirect that conversation if it's if it's tootling off in a in an unhelpful direction, those sorts of things. So what tips could you give us? And I like the layering as well. I'd love to hear more about that.
2: Well, to get into the conversation, I, I think this is one of the hardest things. It's something I found quite difficult early on, because despite the sort of speaking and writing, I'm a bit bit introverted and i would find i would sit there dreaming up the perfect sentence to say or the perfect question and then the moment would go by and actually i i just watched and learned i spent a lot of time watching and learning and still do and i noticed that there was a word that was really really helpful to just get into the conversation or slow things down so that you could get people to think about something differently and and it's the most simple word it's i so, you know, if a conversation's chuntering on, you haven't spoken for a little bit, and you say, I, and I find the words that follow I are really helpful too. So I'm not sure that feels right in terms of where the market is, or I wonder what the competitor reaction will be to that. I is a really helpful, gentle way into a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, most people who study ways of constructive challenge will tell you about the escalator approach. So, you know, you just kind of start with a, question like the one i've just said and then you gradually so you go from a sort of gentle probe to a full-on attack you know sort of as you go up the escalator
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the, the, the thing i find is particularly in virtual situations people sort of ask one question and everybody gets one question and then they go around again and actually it's it's not as good an inquiry tool if you do that because actually most of the really crunchy points come on your second or third sort of question behind that first entree one so i describe this as you know it's like an escalator in department store where most people seem to get off at the first floor have a wonder about see some stuff that they get really interested in and forget what they came for which is on the third floor so i think the art of for chairs i think it's something i think about a lot is how do you kind of get the depth That you need but give everybody the opportunity and how to cover the ground of issues that you need to do and fundamentally i I think it's always better to do a few things really well than lots of things poorly i think the other thing that can be quite useful again again if you're a bit introverted is my granddaughter was a little boy that it's really important to listen to what people say but it's even more important to listen to what they think and I spend a lot of time looking at the faces, and, and generally enough, you know, I think if the, the CEO is kind of bullying it, it's usually all over the CFO's face. And you can see some anxiety on the CFO's face, the more exaggerated the CEO might get about stuff. And and actually, you sometimes just have to look at them. But sometimes you might say, you know, well, I, I wonder what Mary, you know, the CFO thinks. And, and that is a very gentle kind of thing to say, but actually could open up mm. But then you're putting the cfo under pressure to say well actually no it's not quite that good <laughs> There's this other... yeah.
1: what do you notice about the boards that are more innovative and entrepreneurial because you work across a whole whole range mm. of organizations around the world so you see all sorts of interesting things what are some of the similarities that you see you know amongst great entrepreneurial thinking innovative thinking from all of those backgrounds you can distill for us
2: so first of all, I think about you know what's innovation. So I mean a lot of people just describe it as, you know, new products or new ways of doing things. Mm. I would add a very important word to the front of that, and that's successful new products or successful new ways of doing things. Real innovation is kind of, you know, you're changing the way that things are done. Yeah, you, know, you know, you're introducing something. It's hard to embody often a person who might have the spark for an idea the person who has the idea, and then the person who turns that idea into a successful reality. And so, you know, you're incredibly lucky. You know, the the Bill Gates and those sort of people, they are exceptional, usually, and and even in, in those cases, they do need other people. So it's not an individual's thing, it's a collective thing. But I think having your eyes open to the possibility that something could be better being prepared to do something that no one else has done. So with with ESSA, we work on big systemic problems in African education. And we've done a number of things where which have been really innovative. So for example, lots of people complain about, you know, crowded university classrooms. And so we we said, well actually, you know, if the population is what it is now and it's going to be a billion more in 10, 15 years, and you're struggling with you know, the ratios of student to
1: capacity uh, and yeah.
2: Then actually, this is a really urgent problem and we need to do something about it, but but we we believe actually evidence can be really helpful. So often when people talk about innovation, they talk about, well, you know, kind of this guy had this bright idea, this woman had this amazing idea, and that's, you know, often a part of it, but actually they also then went and tried to evidence whether people did really feel like that about this product or that problem and, and sort it. So I, I had the idea for Esa on a flight from Accra to Johannesburg, and I wrote the kind of plan for it on, on a sick bag because I'd run out of paper and I'd run out of laptop battery. But we didn't form an organization just based on that. We then did some proper work to think, actually, these things that I think are big problems, like. faculty crisis the lack of visibility of african research i mean are they real problems and so we got someone to to sort of prove yeah they're actually they're really big problems and then we thought well doing what we're doing currently doesn't work clearly so we need to do something quite different then we started to come up with ways of doing things differently that so the innovation was sparked by a problem that had evidence and then actually there was a lot of work on you know well given the scared of resources how can you do this with limited resources and it's a process um,
1: yeah i couldn't agree more i mean it's a process that is often triggered by a spark of creativity that creative moment and in insight but then you're so right you know for, for me innovation it's about purposefully solving problems that actually exist and that are worth solving and doing that in a way that so that the solution that comes out is is relevant useful and does what it sets out to do and From the the many organisations that I've worked with over 30 years in different places in the world, I think one of the biggest risks a board can have when it comes to innovation is complacency, actually, that we're comfortable, we're doing all right, thank you very much, it's not broken, so we won't improve it, we won't change it. Is that something, would your observations be consistent with that? And what do you do when, you know, it it is all, it's feeling so cushy and comfortable and...
2: I think it's like a normal distribution where you've got both ends of this though, Joe, I think you've got boards and and organisations, sometimes they're complacent because the margins are high and they're making money and then they don't invest and then they get caught out by a new entrant. And then you've got the other end where you've got people who are, sort of you know you know when you do gardening you you don't kind of plant some plants and then keep lifting them up to see how they're doing (laughs) and 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 they kind of constantly stressing about it and they don't get the value from the products that they've already got so they're sort of over innovating, if you like but not being successful because of that so the neat place to be is to think well you know we, we've we've hit the jackpot with this product you know think about its like likely life cycle think about kind of okay so what what we're going to do with the the you know the proceeds of that to build the the products coming behind or the services coming behind or developing markets that different places I, I think a lot of people don't extract the full value from the things they've already got an innovation to many people, means new products, rather than innovating with what we already got and making it just a lot better.
1: Every product or service has a life cycle, doesn't it? So, and every brand, actually, every business in its entirety. So an upward trajectory, hopefully, over time. But as soon as that starts to plateau, it's about thinking, okay, let's kickstart the next growth curve and keep that going and, and seeing that you need to do it before you need to do it so that you're ready for it when it happens.
2: I think a number of organisations have horizon boards or shadow boards or they're called all sorts of things, feeding innovation to the board through a, a group of people from across the organisation who might be younger or, you know, not not being actual board members, but they're just, you know, and, and, and stimulating and challenging. and Because and, often it's the challenge that Produces the thing well yeah we could you know I know a way to do that because amongst your if you've got a properly diverse group there'll be some problem solvers
1: the different perspective as well and keeping feet on the ground knowing you know and, and the trends that are happening out there I was talking to an amazing young woman and she's she's 26 and she was saying look I don't google anything me and my friends we don't google you know she's a, a professional if we want to find out about a business or somebody we look on tiktok it's just really mm. understanding and staying in touch with with those changes as well. So I think I, I really love. So it's a horizon board or a shadow board, and that's younger or different people bringing that challenge. I love that. I think that's fantastic. So the really
2: Foundation, which I chair, we have a Youth Advisory Board, and the chair and the vice chair that sit on the main board. Actually, tomorrow we've got a meeting of our we call it the YAB. We've got a meeting of the YAB, and I'm really really looking forward to it.
1: So how do you think can board leaders and probably particularly executive directors business owners create a culture of innovation so that the whole organization is thinking creatively and innovatively in a purposeful way
2: I think I mean as you know there's, there's lots of evidence that you know it's not by setting up a committee or you know telling someone you know you're responsible for innovation or something like that the most important thing is the people that you recruit we were starting a better it's a very, in terms of change, the, the the African education world. So we said, you know, one of the most important things we need is, you know, pacey people. Uh, so they have all the technical skills, all the other things that we need, but they've got a drive in them and a, and a restlessness that, you know, actually, this is really urgent, this problem that we're trying to solve and whatever the problem would be. And we need to get on with it and we need to find new ways of doing things. So. You interview for that. We're relatively young, but we're up to 20 people. And actually, they're just packed full of drive. So I think it's in, in terms of the people that you recruit and then creating a culture where it's absolutely okay to challenge no matter who you are, where you are, kind of what you do. Everyone can you know can, can contribute to that. It's not just a bunch of clever people in a dark room or... the the board or anyone else every everyone's thinking about how can we actually contribute to this also respecting people who just want to get on and do something so there are some people who just actually just are fantastic producers and they don't they don't want to get involved in the creative side they just like delivering this particular service or Mm -hmm. making a product and respecting them and not actually thinking any less or more of them for, for doing that. They're they're playing a really critical part. If you have everyone who's jumping up and down with new ideas every five minutes, you won't get anything done.
1: No, and uh, it, it would be chaotic, wouldn't it? It's it, it comes down to playing to everybody's strengths, doesn't it? And and having that, that blend of, you know, people producing great work and people having great ideas about the next piece of great work and, and putting all of that together. From your perspective then, so you, you've written about this and, and published about this and you facilitate amazing sessions as well. How do you think people chairing boards or people on boards or people aspiring? You know, there'll be a lot of people listening to us today who are aspiring to be on a on board and, you know, on their way on that journey. How can people really work on themselves to, you know, to get there and deliver the best that they can?
2: I suppose you know there is some uh, there's a piece of research actually at Harvard Business School which showed that the more self-aware you are, the higher your performance on uh, doing three things: so making decisions, coordinating, and managing conflicts. All three things that boards do a lot of. So really asking for feedback, reflecting on you know how did you perform at that meeting, how did you perform in that interaction with someone, and, and getting the feedback, getting a good coach, a mentor really critical i mean i was so lucky because so many people were really kind to me when i was kind of young and unruly and, and i found you know, the generosity of people is is extraordinary if you ask them for advice if you ask them for for views so i think that's the sort of key thing then i think watching and learning you know really really watch if you think someone's really capable have a think about how did they manage to do that and and what words did they use you know because somehow wh- wh- when I make that point no one listens but when they make that point everybody listens so you know thinking of why is that and, and and that that's important
1: that's wonderful advice and I know you've got some really interesting views on self-awareness as well I use 360 you know the traditional 360 feedback quite a bit I do think that can be really helpful if it's used in the right way i know you've got some thoughts around you know how else to improve self-awareness that can be even more powerful or as powerful as the typical 360.
2: so I, I think well what is self-awareness it's really having a good understanding of your strengths weaknesses all the obvious things but it's also about a good understanding of the impact that you have on others so one of the things i used to do Uh, I had a terrible habit of interrupting. So I was very enthusiastic and I would over-prepare, possibly because of my dyslexia, I'd I'd over-prepare. So I had a a point of view on every issue. (laughs) But unfortunately, I also had the need to express it, uh, which was really unhelpful. I found, you know, reflecting, you know, why did Janet seem irritated by me today? I thought I made a really good point very open about saying you know i i'm I'm not sure i made the point very well yesterday and it obviously seemed to irritate you i'm struggling to to understand why but could you help me and and if you do it with a degree of humility which i think is massively important for for self-awareness um and i think humility combined with confidence is really quite powerful yeah i think Humility with confidence, I think, is really important. So you've got to be confident to say to someone, you oh, really sorry, I think I upset you yesterday. but you know what?" And the way you say things, I learnt a lot about that because being a mathematician and kind of evidence-based and fact-based, you know, well, you know, surely this is the rational thing to do. And people go, well, I don't want to do that.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, there's the, the emotional bit and there's the, the whole sort of paraverbal, how, how we say things as well, it's really important. And I wanted to explore confidence a little bit with you because lots of people I've worked with over the years is sometimes people aren't always super confident about being in that board meeting, particularly if it's the first one or the first few. So how can, I mean, I, I think it's, we're not always confident, but by having a bit of courage, a bit of thought, preparation and being brave, we can get there. But, but what are your thoughts about how can people build their confidence and combine it with that humility what are some practical things they can do
2: back to self-awareness so you know there's a temptation to think about self-awareness only applies to weaknesses but it also applies to strengths and, and I always think you know well what do you want to do and what's available to you so sometimes we we think we can't speak when we actually can and people would really like us to so I would Every new non-executive board, oh, and I would generally have a chat with them in between them getting their first set of papers and the first board meeting. And I will say to them, you know, well, kind of, what do you think of the papers? And you know, are there any points you particularly like to make? And so when the meeting comes, I can join them in at the right point. And then we'll have a chat uh, a few days later as well, and I'll ask them for their reflections. Right? You know, how do we do as a board? And what did you like? And where did you know? Did was there anything you wanted to say that you didn't? And and I, I think. There's something around that atmosphere and culture of doing that which really helps and if your chair isn't doing that then there's nothing to stop you starting to do that you know you can ask the chair you know how do you think i did yesterday did i contribute too much too little you know what did i what do you think
1: as i think sometimes when when we're lacking in confidence we can also over interpret people's responses or misinterpret people's responses so if we're speaking and somebody's looking bored, for instance, it might have nothing to do with us or anything we're saying. They might have something completely different on the mind or they might be completely tired after after a really busy week or whatever. So I think that's actually really good for building confidence as well is because sometimes it isn't us and sometimes it is. And either way, we can learn from that. Because that too much negative self-awareness can be the stuff that holds us back.
2: So you can get yourself into these little spirals. And, and I think it's a bit like, you know, in sport, whether, whether it's netball or football or whatever it might be. You know, it's, it's not about playing the player. It's about playing the ball. I think often we, you know, we make it more personal than it than it mm. needs to be.
1: I love that. I love that analogy. It's not about playing the player, it's about playing the ball. I mean, I, I've learned, because it it, it helps me yeah. to see it this way, I've learned to see people disagreeing or challenging as it's engagement and they're interested in the thing, even if they see it differently. Mm. Um, and therefore, I'm grateful for the engagement and the interest, even <laughs> if it's a different perspective. So, So that's how I frame it.
2: And if you're outcome-focused... Yeah. You know, so I think, well, what's the outcome we want today? There might be some sort of turbulence to get there, but what's the outcome we want? And when come away, you know, sometimes you find people feel, oh yeah, it was really, really difficult, really difficult. I say, yeah, but you got the outcome you wanted. And actually they've added a bit of value to this part of it. They've made us think about, you know, we might implement this in a different way. So actually, you know, those difficult questions were really good, they added a lot of value often in board meetings I will have a sort of 15 minutes at the end where we reflect on how did we do today did we rush that did we make hard work of it all of that kind of thing to to help with that
1: and I think the point you make there about and you referenced it earlier when we were talking about not trying to do too much not rushing things I I see this in lots of meetings not just board meetings just people trying to get too much done in too short a space of time and not committing the right amount of time and focus to the right things, really.
2: Forgive me another bit of maths, you know, the normal distribution, the bell curve, there's a relationship, I think, between how effective people are and what kind of pressure they're under. And obviously different people find different things, create different levels of pressure and they have different tolerances to pressure. But fundamentally, you know, if you want to be in that central zone of, you know, high effectiveness and the right amount of pressure, actually delegating to others with right oversight, most boards have too many things on the agenda and we're all kind of guilty of, of that. We, we want to discuss this. We want to discuss that. But if you really focus in on the things which will make a material difference that you really need to discuss all together and delegate with the right level of oversight, the other stuff. Then you kind of have a more, you're more likely to be in that middle zone.
1: Wow, there's lots and lots of wisdom and insight for chairs, board members, anyone who's in any team, anywhere, actually, because these things are transferable and for people aspiring to be on boards as well. Lots of thought provoking things for me, actually, around self awareness, conflict. Love the bit about play the ball and not the, not play the player so lots of value and lots more besides around innovation and entrepreneurship so thank you I know you're you're heading off you're on your travels to where was it Dubai and Accra when we've um, finished yeah. recording so that sounds exciting where can people find you if they want to reach out and contact you and connect with you where's the best place to do that the,
2: the easiest way is on LinkedIn but if you put Patrick and boards you'll probably get me. And I do encourage everyone to sort of, add comments and things to the articles, they get quite a lot of traction. So there's quite a good lively debate on most of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. D-U-N-N-E, isn't it? D-U-N-N-E. D-U-N-N-E, when you're looking for Patrick on LinkedIn online. And also, if you are a board or a senior leadership team and you are looking for some of that external agitation or you want to perform even better than you currently are, Patrick is super skilled at this and I do recommend you reach out. and and connect with him and make that contact so Patrick thank you so much it's been wonderful speaking to you
2: my pleasure
0: thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show brought to you by Dr Joe North don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources we'll see you next time